As you uh, know, uh, chapter 8 is the new chapter, page 89, and we are on the issue. This, uh, maybe one day we'll get to teach on this here at Sunrise, but it's the topic of future events. Wow, what a, what a concept. Maybe we should try that one day. But the whole point is this, as you can see there on the top. Hey, Pastor Jim. Pastor Jim, he's an anointed Christian. Isn't he awesome? Could you turn the volume down just a hair there, please, there on the... Exciting there, and hopefully we'll get rid of some of that uh, feedback there. But as you can see on the top of page uh, 89, it says, Can we know the future? Okay, uh, is the question. Okay, now here's how he starts. He says, Now, you can consult with the psychic of the stars. Learn what the future holds for your romance, finances, and career. This is the key to winning the lottery. Huh? Does that sound familiar? Yeah, that's, that's what the world is, okay? And that's what we're seeing. Can you know the future? And it's, we're going to see, yeah, you can as a Christian. But everybody wants to know the future, don't they? How's tomorrow going to turn out? How's it all going to work out? Okay, and the good news is, and that's the whole issue of Bible prophecy, we can know the future. It's good news, okay? But you don't need to turn to those hucksters uh, for these other things. And here's what he says. There's probably uh, never been a time in history when more people are seeking ways to know the future. Psychics and seers of all kinds proclaim their mystical abilities to know the future on television and magazines and newspapers, dignitaries, uh, and entertainment celebrities have their own personal advisors who give them secrets from the spiritual world. Isn't that awesome? And that's something that you and I, the Christian, can partake of as well. No. Uh, every single one of those sources uh, is not from God, and he warns about that. Your Bibles, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 18. Deuteronomy 18 is a classic text, okay? And uh, as God clearly warns against this, because what you see is you turn there, is you're dealing with the demonic influences, Okay, and what do demons do? Demons lie. Okay, why? Because they're a coke, the uh, workers of iniquity, just like Satan, who's the father of lies. So that's what they do. They do what their leader does. That's what they do. They lie. Okay, they're not a trustworthy source, and they snooker people away from Jesus Christ. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 9, uh, is the classic text there. It says this. He says, when you enter the land the Lord your God has given you, do not learn to imitate the detestable ways of the nations there, and let no one be found among you who sacrifices his son or daughter in the fire. Can you believe that? That culture of the day. It was the god Molech is what they would do. One of the, the false gods out there. And he was a hollow, huge giant statue. He was hollow. And inside they'd build a fire inside that hollow giant idol. And they'd heat that thing up till it become red hot. Like a red hot coal. And then they would chuck their kids into the arms of Molech. And they'd burn them alive. That's what he's talking about, they're the practice. And the reason why they did that is because they believed that the god Molech would uh, help them financially and help them secure their future. And so we would never see a culture on the planet again today that would literally kill and sacrifice their children for the sake of financial welfare and expediency. What's that? Doing the same thing today. But that's a whole other sermon. Let's continue on. He goes on with that. He says, uh, who practices divination or sorcery, interprets omens, engages in witchcraft or cast spells, who's a medium or spiritist or consults the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. And because of these detestable practices, the Lord your God is going to drive these nations out before you, but you must be blameless before the Lord your God. Now, skip down to 17. So, well, how do you know? How do you know if a message is from God? Well, he's got a 100% track record because unlike demons and Satan, he doesn't lie. Okay, skip down to verse 17. The Lord said to me, well, what they say is good. I'll, I'll raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers and I will put my words, God speaking here, uh, into his mouth and he will tell them everything I command him. 
If anyone does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name, God speaking, I myself will call him to account. But a prophet who presumes to speak in my name, the Lord's give me a word, brother. I tell you what, the Lord told me. You better be careful. You better be careful. Because you're, you're actually proclaiming that what God is telling me, to t- a word from God, is the Christianese phrase. He says, who presumes to speak in my name, anything I have not commanded him to say, or a prophet who speaks in the name of other gods, must be what? Why such a serious charge back then? Because God doesn't ever get it wrong. You can always trust God. If he says it, take it to the bank 100% of the time. And so how dare you give God a bad rep saying you're from God, you're a prophet from God, and you get it wrong even once. Okay? And he says this, uh, you may say to yourselves, well, how can we know when a message has not been spoken by the Lord? If a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord, what he says is in the name of the Lord, and it does not take place or come true, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. That prophet has spoken presumptuously. Don't be afraid of him. Oh, don't talk about me. I'm the Lord's anointed. You can't. Sorry, you got it wrong. Shut you off. I don't know. How many false teachings today, even like Jehovah's Witnesses, because they do that. They've predicted the end of the world so many times and they've got it wrong. Why do people continue to even listen to them? The first time they got it wrong should have been a mass exodus and they'd gone out of existence because we don't pay attention to God's word, okay? But that's what uh, the world does. That's not what God is talking about here. Can we know the future? That's not our source. It comes from God's word, okay? He continues on, but the question is, can we, Christians, can we know the future? Yes, that's right, Ruth, we can, okay? Uh, For the Bible-believing Christian, the answer to this is yes, we can know the future, not because somebody has some special ability to receive answers to their questions from the spiritual world, but because God's already revealed it to us in his word, the Bible, okay? The preordained course of history and its ultimate culmination. The sovereign God who created the universe, listen, is carrying out his plan to redeem his elect, to destroy evil, and to bring in everlasting righteousness. That's what he's talking about ultimately in Bible prophecy, and that's a good thing. Do you think that's a good thing to be reminded that God's gonna redeem his elect? That's an encouraging word. Do you think it's good to know that he's going to destroy evil for good? Yeah, and then he's gonna bring in everlasting righteousness. Everything's always gonna be right and just and fair all the time. Yeah, that's good news, okay? And he's recorded how and when he's gonna do that to his revelation to man. But in this day of so much interest of the future, even Bible-believing Christians are saying, listen, it is not important for us to study future events. You're missing out on some major mega blessings if you do that. And we'll get to that several reasons just even tonight. But this reminds me of what I even shared a Sunday if you were there uh, after we saw about the health care bill and the things that they're uh, implementing that thing. And as the one uh, commentator was saying, how in the world could these guys, politicians who profess to be Christians, many of them, how could they have signed off on that? How could they agreed with a lot of this legislation that goes against our a Christian belief system. And if you remember that quote, he said because he blames their lack of biblical knowledge from a lack of good biblical preaching from the pulpit, specifically in these times when this stuff is taking place, Bible prophecy. He said many denominations and churches right now are forbidding teaching Bible prophecy, which is the same policy of communist China. You can read all that other stuff, but don't talk about Jesus Christ coming back and because he's the one who's going to rule. And oh, by the way, the Bible is the only book on the planet that tells us in intimate detail what the Antichrist is going to be doing so that we're not caught off guard. So if you were the Antichrist and you were getting ready to ramp it up and pull it off, 
okay? Uh, what's the last book that you would want people uh, to read? Specifically, the books that talk about the specific game plan, i.e. prophecy. It's not by chance. And that's why he says, unfortunately, when all this is happening on such a rapid scale, the trend is the church says, zip it up. Zip it up, don't teach it, okay? So why should we do it? Well, Dr. Roy Zuck, in his excellent book, that's right, Basic Bible Interpretation, he states the following. He says, uh, though differences of opinion have prevailed for many years on how to interpret Bible's prophetic statements, the Bible does give a number of reasons for studying its prophetic literature. Now, before I get there, I've got to take advantage of this exciting artwork that I created tonight. Yeah, now, you can't read it, but it looks cool. Okay, and I'll try to explain it to you. <laughs> little, whatever this I tried my best. You know, I didn't even get it to scale, but whatever. So, but anyway, that's what it is. So, but before we get there, can we know the future? Yes, we can in intimate detail. We are the only ones on the planet, Christian, who have the privilege and the honor to know 100% for sure. I'm not saying, well, is that really a word? For, no, this is really what's going to happen. Unlike anybody else on the planet. We alone have a sure word of what's coming down the pike. And so let's just take a look at the future of the prophetic events. What's coming down uh, the pike? Of course, we had the beginning of time, Genesis. <clears throat> and then the culmination piece, of course, is Jesus Christ on the cross. All right? Salvation's always been by faith. Okay, you had the Old Testament saints looking forward to the cross. As New Testament saints, this is what's called the church age. Anybody can be saved, Jew or Gentile. Okay, we look back towards the cross. Okay, that's the time period that we're in. Well, what's the next prophecy on, on God's time calendar? Well, that's the rapture of the church. Okay, and that's going to happen. It could happen, actually, literally, it could happen at any time. Okay, there's nothing in a prophetically that's holding that from uh, taking place. It can happen now, literally. And after that, you're going to see Daniel 9.27 kicks into place. This is the event that starts the seven-year tribulation. And this is when the Antichrist makes a peace treaty with Israel for seven years, hence the seven-year tribulation. Okay, anybody on the planet trying to make a peace treaty with Israel? The guy who does it specifically for seven years, that guy, you'll know, if unfortunately you're left behind, you'll know that you're on, uh, that is the actual Antichrist. Okay, we know that's going to be the tip-off. But that starts the time clock. And right after that, you have the seal judgments. You got the trumpet judgments. Okay, over here, okay, this is supposed to be the halfway point, even though it's not to scale. And that's the trumpet judgments, and that's the bold judgments that's over here, okay? Right after he starts the seven-year tribulation with that peace treaty, you have the first seal, the white horse rider. Many believe that that's the Antichrist himself, okay? And uh, he comes in with just a bow, no arrows, and people believe that this is a peaceful coup, if you will. He takes over the world with the promises of peace. You just let me rule you, you, this one world government and one world economy and this one world religion we got now, and you let me rule over here, and it's going to be utopia. Oh, by the way, those nasty fundamental Christians are gone. But don't worry for those of you who had loved ones who were Christians, because as we saw before, it was the UFOs that got perfect excuse, perfect excuse in the last days, explain away the rapture, just like that. Nobody will even twice. Okay, so the white horse ride. So everybody, there's a there's a short period. Most people don't understand this the seven-year tribulation actually begins if you want to call it that on a high note yeah, yeah utopia finally peace on the planet boom the second uh, rider comes in the red horse rider war breaks across the planet the second seal third seal is the black horse rider you got a global famine that takes across the planet the fourth seal you got the pale horse rider one of the uh, uh, planet is uh, uh, annihilated in that judgment if it were to happen today that's about two billion people uh, with sword, famine, plague, and wild beasts on the earth. Then the fifth seal happens. That's the altar of souls. Global persecution uh, takes place. People can still get saved during the seven-year tribulation. You might want to get saved now. Save yourself some serious headaches. Literally, pun intended, because we know the uh, method of execution, which is happening to come back today, is decapitation, Revelation 20. 
okay? Uh, but the fifth seal is the global persecution. People can still get saved. You got the two witnesses going out there. Uh, you got the angel at some point that, that begins to proclaim the gospel, uh, as, well, as well as the 144,000 male Jewish evangelists that go across the planet. So the gospel is still going to go out, as well as anything, I would say, logically, contextually, we leave behind. You know, any stuff that they come across. Okay, but you got the global persecution, okay? Then you have the sixth seal. This happens, and this sixth seal, when it busts open, it's a foreboding sign with, with, with the, the seventh, and that's what basically starts the second half of the tribulation. This is the uh, uh, seven-year tribulation. This second half is so bad, it's called in the Bible the gray tribulation. Okay, in other words, if you think this first three and a half years was bad, you ain't seen nothing yet. Okay, and, and see, when the sixth seal happens, you, you haven't hit there, but the sixth seals, you got this global earthquake, the sun turns black, the moon turns blood red, that means volcanoes are going off, shutting out the sky all over the planet. Asteroids, the sky recedes, the mountain and islands on the whole planet are removed from their places. That's how big that earthquake's going to be. Okay, serious event. But it's just like a foreboding, oh, oh, oh. and then you have the, the seventh one. And then you got, to, at that point, what culminates simultaneously with that event is the abomination of desolation. Three and a half years, the midway point, the Antichrist goes up into the rebuilt Jewish temple. They're doing that today. And he goes in there and declares himself to be God. That's the abomination of desolation that Daniel talked about. Jesus referred about Matthew 24. Okay, so you see that event taking place and that's when it gets really bad. Then you get into the trumpet judgments. The first trumpet, you got one third of the earth is burned up. Okay, the second trumpet, you got one third of the sea dies. Okay, the, the fourth trumpet, you got one third of, of the solar smiting. The sun is blocked out and the moon and the things of that nature. A fifth trumpet, that's horrible. For five months, a demon horde is released from the abusas, the abyss, and they torture people for five months who receive the mark of the beast. It's a really, really graphic scene that's going on in that text, maybe someday. Uh, sixth trumpet, you got four angels who've been prepared for that very day and very hour uh, are released, and they kill another one-fourth of mankind, or one-third of mankind. One-fourth is taken out here, another one-third is going in one fell swoop. That's not counting everybody else in between. I mean, it's just massive, massive slaughter. Uh, as we're talking about and then you got uh, with the seventh trumpet which again each trumpet the seventh trumpet opens up the next judgment the seventh seal opens up the seven uh, the first trumpet the seventh trumpet opens up uh the first with the first bowl the first bowl you got painful sores break out and this is towards the end there this is god's final oh okay what's really cool is in the greek there when we think of bowl we think of like a how many guys eat popcorn and when you eat popcorn you got to have the popcorn bowl and the popcorn bowl isn't just your average little nice little cereal bowl. It's the manly bowl. It's the bowl that you could probably change the oil uh, in a semi-truck. If it's like my house, it's that bowl. <laughs> because when you eat popcorn, you've got to eat popcorn. Okay, so when we think of bowls, we're thinking, oh, it's, it's a big bowl. It's big. No, no, no. What's really cool in the Greek, this is cool. It's almost like, it's like, a, it's like a, almost just a hair bit bigger than a saucer is, is the Greek word that's used there. And it's like, a, it, can you imagine trying to carry water, not in a big popcorn bowl, but in just a... a uh, uh, almost like a saucer. You know how, how precarious that is? And then when you go to tip it, it just... <laughs> that's the word that's used there. This is God's final outpouring of his wrath. It's really cool what's going on in the Greek there. And so you got to the first one, painful sores break out on everybody who takes the mark of the beast. The second bowl, all the sea creatures die. Can you imagine that? All, not a third. Every living thing in all the sea on the whole planet is dead. Can you imagine just the stench from that? But just the judgment of that. And then all the fresh water dies. Not just a third of it's taken out early in the trumpet judgment. Now all the fresh water. Now you have no fresh water, uh, any kind of water source on the planet. Ha ha, next judgment. Guess what? Sun turns up. Ah, Starts scorching people. 
uh, with fire and they cursed God, it says. Then the fifth bowl, the Antichrist kingdom is plunged into darkness. The sixth bowl, the Euphrates rivers dried up to prepare the way for the kings of the east to come to the battle of Armageddon. The seventh bowl happens. It's God's last one. It's literally is it is done. And at this point, listen to this. The greatest of all earthquakes ever takes place uh, on the planet. You got Jerusalem split into, into three. Babylon um, the, the harlot system, the one world religion that rode with the Antichrist, worked with them, duped the planet, is judged by God, burned big time. Uh, is, God pours out his wrath on her. All the cities on the whole planet, every city, not some, every city, not a third, every city on the whole planet is collapsed. Every city on the planet. That's how huge this earthquake is. And all the mountains and the islands are not just moved, it says re- removed. And then 100-pound hailstones start dropping from the sky. You're still not done because then Jesus Christ, praise God, we come back with him. Okay, we come back with him. Revelation chapter 19, we come back with him and there's the battle of Armageddon. Can you believe it? The Antichrist duping one last time dupes the world to try to take on God. Yeah, and that's exactly what happens. <laughs> and Jesus comes back. And then you have the angel harvest. You got the massive angel harvest. All those who uh, are not saved harvested and they get chucked into hell. Uh, and then those who survive, they get to be ushered in into the millennial kingdom. Jesus Christ comes back, puts it out. Now, after that, if you want to keep going, of course, this is not to scale because this is supposed to represent a thousand years. So play with me, will you? Okay, right after the seven year tribulation, the second coming of Jesus Christ, he sets up the millennial reign. At the end of the millennial reign, 1,000 years, there's what's called the final rebellion. The whole time has been awesome because Satan has been bound in the pit the whole time, okay? And nobody can mess with you. No Satan, no demons, no nothing. And after that, there's one final rebellion. God puts it down. There is no seven years on this thing. He just squelches it. Okay, and then Satan is chucked forever into the lake of fire where it says the beast and the false prophet are, which means it is not annihilation. They've been in there for the last thousand years and they're still there. So they're continuing on. Hell is eternal. Okay, and so they, he gets chucked in there. There's, then what you have is what's called the great white throne judgment. Everybody of all humanity's history that ended up in hell is raised before the great white throne judgment of God. They are judged by God. I mean, it's already done. They're basically, with your name in the book of life? Okay, and they basically go from the frying pan into the fire. You thought hell was bad? Now you're going into the lake of fire. And so shall it always be. And at that point, that is literally, if you will, the end of time. The, the theologians call it the eternal state. Isn't that awesome? We can know the future. Prophecy, yeah. Well, you know, some people have different opinions of that. I mean, with Christians, we're up here uh, with that, and I would say that that's where that's uh, going to take place, okay, at the rapture. Okay, Paul talks about that. If we can get into that text with First Thessalonians, he talks about, he says, we certainly will not precede uh, those who've fallen asleep or already died in Christ. What's he talking about? Well, at the rapture, okay, see, because if we die and go to heaven right now, 2 Corinthians 5, 8 says, absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Well, if we were to die right now, prior to the rapture, we get, it's what's called, 1 Corinthians 15, a spiritual body. But that's not our resurrected body, okay? Now, the resurrected body happens for us at the rapture, all right? So there's a whole bunch of Christians who's already died, who's in heaven with Jesus, okay? They got their spiritual bodies, but they don't have their resurrected bodies. So when do they get those? That's what Paul's talking about. They get theirs first. Their bodies rise again from the grave, meet them, and they cruise up in the air, and we get ours simultaneously at the rapture. We get our resurrected bodies. We don't go through that difference. Of the, you see what I'm saying? And that's what he's talking about. We won't precede those who vote because they get their bodies first, and we, if you will, are hard on their heels. Okay, and at that point, we go to be with the Lord. 
okay? Uh, and then that's where people say, that's where your judgment seat. And again, what's the Bama seat? <laughs> you're, uh, you're, you lied one time and you're a Christian, you're going to hell. No, that was a, a judgment seat. It was a, for rewards, okay? It's like with the Olympic Games today. And they, get, and they go onto that, that judgment platform, if you will, and they say, well, this guy got first place and this guy got second place. Well, you got third place, you're going to hell. No, okay, you just get different rewards. Does the Bible talk about different rewards? At least five different rewards the scripture talks about. Okay, and again, Revelation 4 puts it in context. That doesn't mean that we're going to get up there and go, my crown's bigger than your crown. Hey, my crown's bigger than yours. Jordan whipped up on all of us because he made a movie. It was really cool. Hey, that's not funny, buddy. Okay, no, it's not a competition thing. Revelation 4 says, yes, we have the ability to earn different crowns, but we have the privilege to lay them at the feet of Jesus out of love and thankfulness and gratefulness. Thank you that I could even have something to show for what you've done for me. Okay, so that's what he's talking about. But the, the judgment there, this, the dishing out of rewards, okay? But also, there's also an indication, too, of that aspect that will come out in the millennial kingdom. The Bible talks about the Old Testament prophets when he starts to Isaiah and others. When they talk about the millennial kingdom, they talk about positions of reigning with Jesus Christ. So there's also that aspect, too, okay, in uh, when we get to literally rule and reign with him on the earth, okay? But all that said, wasn't that horrible news? I just feel so discouraged when I talk about these future events. It's just so... No. And that's what we're going to see tonight, guys. There's so many blessings, okay? Turn your Bibles once again. Uh, this time, Revelation chapter 1. Okay, and this is what we're going to see in our study. I don't know how far we can get. But um, Revelation chapter 1. And God tells us the importance of reading this book. Okay, and this is just one book of prophecy. As you turn there contextually, the Bible deals directly or indirectly... Three-fourths of the Bible deals directly or indirectly with some form of prophecy, whether it's talking about the first coming of Jesus or the second coming of Jesus. And as Christians, we're supposed to study the Word of God. As teachers of the Word of God, we need to preach the whole counsel of God. But if we never, if we listen to those denominations and churches that say, don't ever teach Bible prophecy, you just left out directly or indirectly three-fourths of the context of the Bible. So how could you say you're being honest with the Word of God? How can you say you're being a true student of the Word of God if you never study it, never teach it, or never get it taught? Right? Okay, now, now, but it's also a blessing. And that's what God says. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. The revelation of Jesus Christ. I just want to learn about Jesus. Read Revelation, man. You're going to get the real Jesus, not the Jesus on the cross. That's not what he is now. Uh Uh-uh, he's the ascended Jesus, the right hand of the Father. You want to learn about Jesus? You want to see what he, woo, our Lord and Master, the King of Kings, the mighty warrior? He's right here. He says, uh, God gave him to show his servants that uh, must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed. Now, that's the Greek word makarios, okay? And it means spiritually prosperous. You want to grow in your walk with Jesus Christ? You want to be prospered spiritually? Blessed? Then what do you do? Blessed is the one who reads the words of what? Of this prophecy. Blessed are those who what? Hear it. And blessed are those who what? Take it to heart. What is written in it? Because the time is near. So I didn't say it. God said it. Not once, not twice, but three times. You are spiritually prosperous if you read that book. Okay? Well, why? Well, because our first point says prophecy. Here's your first blank. Comforts. What? Are you serious? That's scary. No, it comforts. Prophecy comforts. After assuring the Thessalonian believers that their beloved Uh, believing loved ones who had already died would precede the rapture of the living saints. We just talked about that, right? That exchange there with the resurrected body. Paul wrote, therefore, encourage 
each other with these words. Okay, in fact, he says it there in 1 Thessalonians 4.18. He says, encourage one another, one another with these words. He continues in the context in chapter 5 to talk about last day's things. Don't worry, this is good stuff. And he says it again. Therefore, encourage one another. So he says it not once, he says it twice when talking about these things, specifically the rapture, specifically the second coming of Jesus Christ. Encourage one another with these words. Not discourage. Encourage says it twice. Okay, the news provided comfort and encouragement, uh, and it has both shades of the meaning there in the Greek. In the upper room discourse, uh, discourse, Jesus introduced his comments about returning to heaven with the words, don't let your hearts be what? Trouble. Why are we freaking out, guys, about the world events? Yes, we're headed towards the mark of the beast system, but that system doesn't culminate until the seven-year tribulation time frame. We're out of here. Okay, but here's the point. If we see the technology for that kind of a system, even with a one-world government system, which is what we're on now, a one-world economy, we finished up one-world religion, and now this mark of the beast technology starting to be put into place now, what does the message being sent to you and I, what is that? It could happen that much faster. It could really happen now. Okay? But it's comforting. It's encouraging. Yes! I, I don't know about you, but the longer I live here on earth, you're in that dichotomy. Like Paul was. He says, oh man, I long to be with Christ, which is far better. Heaven is much better than here. Yeah. He says, but my heart aches. I, I know that my staying, however long God wants me here, it's a benefit for the church. And that should be the uh, 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 a twixt, uh, a fate, if you will, that we should be in. We're like, oh man, I'm encouraged to know that. I'm going to be with Jesus. I'm out of here. And it can happen any time. But while I'm still here, hopefully God could use me to be a benefit to fellow Christians and certainly share the gospel uh, with the lost. But Jesus says, hey, don't let your hearts be troubled. And no doubt the disciples were calm when hearing Jesus would say that he would return to what? Take you with me that you may also be where I am. Did you know there is more to life than what we're dealing with now? Did you know we're not saved for this messed up version of the planet? Did you know we're headed to a place beyond our wildest dream? It's a free gift from Jesus Christ. That's encouraging. That comforts. And when you talk about future events and that event coming, it's going to come. That's a good thing. Second thing prophecy does is it calms. What? I thought it freaks you out. No, no. Think about it. Our age is characterized by immorality, violence, insecurity, hatred, and an increased disregard for spiritual things. And terrible days are yet to come, 2 Timothy 3. Even so, Christians rest in the fact that God knows and controls the future. Here's a no-brainer. If God controls the future, don't you think he can control your today? And if God had a plan for the future and has it all planned out, and it's a great plan if you're a part of his plan you're not you're in trouble then don't you think he's got a good plan for us today see bible prophecy reminds us of the sovereignty of god bible prophecy reminds us that god's got it all mapped out not just the future he's got today mapped out and tomorrow mapped out and however many more you get that calms you down doesn't it when you know about the future you know that he can take care of your today okay he is totally sovereign. I, I got to share at least one story uh, of, of that. It's, it's a, uh, let me share you two. Ira Sankey. You guys remember that guy? Yeah, I, it's, it's, it's an, anyway, he's a song leader for Dwight Moody. Have you heard of that guy? Okay, praise God. Okay, he was traveling, uh, Ira Sankey, traveling on a steamboat. This is 1875 when someone just happened to ask him to sing a hymn. So he 
just randomly picked one out and he sang it. And when he did, a man stepped out of the shadows and asked him if he served in the Union Army doing guard duty in 1862. And when Ira said, yeah, the man continued. He said, so did I, but I was serving the Confederate Army. And when I saw you stand at your post back in 1862, I raised my gun to kill you, but at that instant, you raised your eyes to heaven and began to sing the song you just sang now. He said, and as you did back in 1862, I began to think of my childhood. He's getting ready to kill him. He said, and my God-fearing mother, and because that was the same song she sang to me, and because of that, I couldn't kill you. Who's in control? God. God tells us in Bible prophecy, I got the future all mapped out, man. And it's a good plan. It's going to lead to good things. Oh, by the way, I also have your today planned out. I got to share this. This is one of my favorite ones. Okay, we got to get cruising. Uh, World War II, true story. American B-17 bomber was making a bomb raid over Germany when their gas tanks were hit by the German flak fire. But for some reason, they managed to make it back. Okay, so the next day, the pilot reflecting on the miracle of 20 millimeter shell piercing the fuel tank without exploding the plane, he went to go get that shell as a souvenir uh, of his unbelievable luck. Well, that's when the crew chief told him that not just one shell, but 11 shells had been found in the gas tank and not a single one of them exploded. So when they sent the shells, it still wasn't done, to the armory to be diffused because he still wanted to get a souvenir. That's when they discovered that all 11 shells were missing their explosive charges. For some strange reason, they were as clean as a whistle, completely empty, except for one of them. Listen. And believe it or not, inside that one shell was a carefully rolled up piece of paper and on it, written in Czechoslovakian, it said this, this is all we can do for you now. So some prisoner of war, captured by the Nazis, probably in Czechoslovakia, was forced to work in an armory for Germany, and that's their way of getting back. What's the odds of that? What does that tell you? Who's in control? Prophecy tells us God's in control. He's got everything mapped out. He's sovereign and even over our today. Prophecy, when you understand it correctly, calms you. It comforts you. It calms you. The next one, prophecy converts you. Okay, it's the next one. Prophecy converts. Okay, in the book of Acts, several sermons given by the apostles include God's plan for the future. As a result, a number of people became believers in Christ. If you look at that in Acts chapter 3, uh, Peter, he spells out how Jesus fulfilled, he's preaching prophecy, right? How Jesus fulfilled much of the, uh, of the, the, uh, a number of the Old Testament prophecies, he filled all of them, uh, and it says, many who heard the message, what? They got saved, okay, they believed, okay, and then Paul, he does the same thing in Mars Hill, the Areopagus there, by affirming that God had what? Now he starts talking about judgment, don't talk about judgment, that'll scare people, tell Paul that. He started talking about a day when God has set and he's going to judge the world with justice by the man, Jesus, that he appointed. And as a result, people got saved. Interesting. And Paul was under house arrest. He preached about the kingdom of God. He taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. And in this century, many people have come to Christ as a result of hearing sermons on prophetic events. Anybody notice anything going on here at sunrise? I don't take credit for it. That's God. But what topic have we been on for a while and how many people have been getting saved? I don't take credit for that. That's God. And that's scripturally what we see. There's something about teaching about Bible prophecy to people to wake them up. Yes, it shakes them up, but that's a good thing. If it scares them straight into hell, what's so bad about that? I mean, or into heaven. It scares them in hell, that's really bad. 
okay? You just did him a favor. And that's what you see. Some people, they're not going to respond. Uh, uh, but, but you preach Bible prophecy and you talk about the urgency, you better get saved now. God has appointed a day. The rapture could happen. Do not be left behind. Ah! Well, praise God for that. Ah! Because that led him up here to bow a knee before Jesus. You see it in the scripture? We're even seeing it today. Okay, prophecy converts. Prophecy cleanses. Knowing that the Lord may come at any moment influences believers to lead lives that are pleasing to the Lord. Immediately after referring to the blessed hope, hello, his second coming, it should be a blessed thing, uh, Paul referred to the Lord's desire to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. As believers look forward to the new heaven and the new earth, they should make every effort, he says, to be found what? Spotless and blameless and at peace with him. And John affirmed that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. And then he added, everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure why well i think a couple different reasons why uh because number one that he's got us here if we're still here he wants us he desires that none should perish so if people are not going to perish you got to at least throw them a bone how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news somebody's got to tell them they're not going to get it from the media or the educational system Somebody's got to tell them the true one and only gospel, not the gushy gospel, not the fake gospel, not the life enhancement Jesus false gospel. Somebody's got to tell them that's us. But if you live a duplicit life and you preach Jesus with your mouth, but you don't live Jesus with your life, hey, that's a bad witness. And they're going to turn from that. So if we're in this time frame and you know it can happen at any time, you might want to clean up your act so it can improve your witness. Because you know what? The world can smell a million miles away. That's a hypocrite. That's a hypocrite. I'm not listening to you. You don't believe it. You don't live it. Oh, yeah, Jesus is real important to you. Look at you, right? Okay, the second thing I would say is this. This is common sense. Hey, you know, the rapture is going to happen, guys, right? Okay, we're going to see Jesus. And it's going to happen, as Paul says, just like that, in the blink of an eye, twinkling of an eye, mm-hmm. What do you want your last thing to be here on earth? Right before in that quick of a time frame. Oh, hi, Jesus. What do you want your last event to be doing before you see him? Sending up a storm? Living a worldly life? You're not following him. You act like it's a drudgery to crack open his word. You never pray. You don't do it. Is, is, is that, and you, oh, hi, Jesus. Love you. Praise God, he still loves us and accepts us because the cross is complete, amen? But how do you want to get there? Wouldn't it be cool? I always had an instructor that said this. We've talked about this before. Wouldn't it be cool if the last thing you did was you're praying and leading somebody to Christ in Jesus' name, amen? Hi, Jesus. Because it's going to happen. You're going to meet him just like that. What do you want your last thing to be? Then I'd say let's work toward being spotless and blameless, those positive commercials for Jesus, so that when we see the face of Jesus, at, at least we're doing something decent. Okay? And that's what he talks about. He cleanses us. Prophecy compels. This one's common sense. In view of the brevity of life and the soon return of the Lord, which Paul said could occur in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, believers should stand firm, quote, letting nothing move them, and always, how much, how often, weekends? Hey, I know when it fits with your calendar. If you don't have something better else going on. Because you know, living that Christian life is boring. 
No, I'm sorry. He says always, letting nothing move. They always give themselves half-heartedly. Give God those leftovers. Huh? God, here you go, buddy. Leftovers. I just found this laying around. Let me blow the mold off for you. <laughs> we, we don't do that, do we? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a, the classic phrase is very convicting. And one guy says, there's so much dust on Christian Bibles. Two things. You blow on it. <laughs> if all Christians did it all at the same time, you create the greatest dust storm in U.S. history. Or individually, he says, there's enough dust on there to write the words damnation. If you see a Bible falling apart, it probably belongs to a Christian who's not. Okay? And so we need to get in there, always give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord, not leftovers. We're seeking him wholeheartedly every single day until he sees, hey, hi, Jesus. Okay, he says, and, but since the believer must appear before the judgment seat of Christ rewards, we try to what? Persuade men to come to Christ uh, for salvation because Christ's love compels us or motivates us into action. Well, but really, these events freak me out, man. How is that positive? I mean, the uh, one-fourth of the earth's gone. They're going to be eaten alive by uh, uh, wild beasts and famine and plague and all that stuff. And the sea dies and there's no fresh water and sun scorches. There's the mark of the bees and this demon horde. Ah, ah. Hey, it's not so much for you. It's to compel you that, hey, do you, do, do you want your loved one? Do you want your co-worker? you want your neighbor to go through that? See, if you don't talk about how horrible this time frame is, it just kind of takes the sting out of it, doesn't it? It doesn't motivate us like it should. Well, maybe tomorrow. You know what? Next Monday. Next Monday at the beginning. You know, this week's mostly over. I'll just wait to, to talk to that coworker. Hey, praise God. We're going. We're gone. But who's going to be left behind to tell them as they're left behind to face this? This is not a game. This is real. This is not our consideration. But it should be a consideration for the people who don't know Jesus Christ. If we have an ounce of love. It compels us when we see what is coming. We may not face it, but they will unless they turn to Jesus. Don't you care? Okay. And finally, prophecy clarifies. Okay, right next to that, the, in big bold letters, put fireworks around it, asterisks, whatever you want to do. We win. Right? Bible prophecy is a, and book of Revelation is a book of victory. Not a book of fear, it's a book of victory because it reminds us, it clarifies that Jesus Christ is in control and he's coming back and he wins. He cannot lose, he will not lose, he'll never lose. And we belong to him. Bible prophecy presents many details about what God will do in the future. These facts given in many parts of the Bible present a harmonized pattern of God's future program for the church, for the world, unbelievers, nations, Satan. It doesn't matter, God's got it all under wrap we win we win this every time you crack open this message not only i mean listen what did, what did revelation 3 say 1 3 blessed blessed is the he who hears and who reads and who takes to heart all this stuff why because it comforts you it calms you it com converts people they get saved it cleanses your heart it compels you and it clarifies we win and yet, churches today and entire denominations say, keep your mouth shut. And is it any wonder that so many Christians are not excited about Jesus 
they're really kind of lackadaisical about sharing the gospel. And they're freaking out over world events. Or they're walking around like we're a bunch of losers. Sounds to me like you need to get back into Bible prophecy and be makarios, be blessed again. Amen? Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries, and I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things that the Bible says. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death? In other words, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and be separated from God for all eternity. This is the great cosmic dilemma. God who is holy and we are not, how can we have a relationship with Him? The two will never mix. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this, even though God already knows He's God. And so God, out of love, gave us something called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not something to just memorize or stick on your wall or give the appearance of being a religious person. The Ten Commandments were God's divine x-ray, if you will, into our heart and soul to reveal this truth that we need to admit. And that is this, that God is holy and that we are not. We are disqualified for heaven. So let's take a look at that divine x-ray that God's trying to get us to realize. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments, the, the ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That's lying. Okay. How many guys have ever told a lie? Raise your hand. Okay. Well, if you didn't raise your hand, you just did. You just told a lie because we've all done that. Well, that makes us a liar. The, another Ten Commandments says that you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. How many of you guys uh, have ever done that? Well, you guys already said you're a bunch of liars. All of our hands should have went up on that one. And for being honest, God already knows. Folks, we've all taken something. We've stolen something, right? That makes us a thief. Another Ten Commandments says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. He's not just holy. Even His name is holy. Hey, folks, let's be honest. If you can believe it, even the name of Jesus Christ uh, has been turned into a common cuss word. Well, the Bible says that's a sin of blasphemy. Now we're a, a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus said, here's his standard. Uh, uh, even if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you committed adultery in your heart. Wow, so now we're an adulterer. The Bible says you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, at least I haven't done that one. Really? Again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead, okay, that, that's the same thing. Uh, it's akin to the sin of murder. It's just you pulled the trigger in your heart, but God sees the heart. Hey, folks, that's just five out of ten. How are you doing? You still think you're going to get to heaven on your own? You still think that you're qualified, that you're holy like God, and you could bridge the gap and have a relationship with Him forever? I don't think so. I mean, what did we just see? You're going to stand before God, and so am I. We all are. And we're going to have to give an account for who we are. Hey, hey, God, let me in. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a liar. I, I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer. I'm an adulterer. I'm a murderer. And the Scripture is very clear, folks. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're in trouble. But folks, here's the good news. The Bible says that if we would just admit that, that's the first step, to admit that God is holy, that I'm not, I'm disqualified for heaven, I need a Savior. If we would admit that and then ask for the Savior to save us. That, that's what God was doing with Jesus. God gave us His Son, Jesus Christ. He took the death penalty in our place, so that we could be completely forgiven of everything we've ever done and be made holy through Jesus so that we can now have a relationship with God both here and now and forever 
in heaven. We can become qualified. The word that the Bible uses is a word called pardon, that God is willing to pardon us of all of our sins and crimes that we've committed against him and disqualified us, that disqualified us for heaven, right? And we've actually seen this work in real life. Uh, for instance, uh, there's been people who have committed crimes, gone to court, the gavel's been passed, the judges said, hey, listen, we all know you're guilty, uh, you even admit you're guilty, and uh, for your crimes, you're going to not just jail, you're going to uh, await in jail to go to the death penalty. And did you know that there actually is a way that somebody could get off of death row? It's called a pardon. The one in the authority, the governor, can grant what's called a pardon for that person's crimes, and they literally can go free. Not because of something they did, because the deeds are already done, you can't undo it. Not because of they tried to clean up their act while they were stuck in the jail cell, because that doesn't change anything. But simply out of mercy, the person who has the authority can give them a pardon, and they can go free. And did you know it's actually on historical record that there have been people who have been granted a pardon from the death penalty, and they've refused to take it. And so even though the offer was there to be set free, they themselves still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, in a nutshell, that's what God's doing every single day with all of us this side of heaven. While you still have breath, you still have an opportunity to receive God's pardon. He's willing to forgive you of all your sins if you would just receive His pardon through Jesus Christ. Again, that's what He was doing on the cross. The cross was the death penalty of the day. But since we weren't there, and since we can't earn it, it's a gift from God, you have to receive that by faith. Reach out even today from your own spiritual jail cell, if you will, and say yes to Jesus and God's pardon so that you can be set free and go to heaven. The Bible says that if you confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the grave, you will be saved. Hey folks, if that's you, don't delay. You may not even have tomorrow. Today could be your last day. Please accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Confess with your mouth He is Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the grave and the Bible says you will be saved. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Gill Life Ministries. If there's anything that we could do for you, our information and, and number will come up here shortly. And please don't hesitate to contact us. But remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.